Experience the Jared difference. The best prices on an amazing selection. Select your diamond gift today from hundreds of styles they're sure to love. Jared. Love brilliantly. The irony of all this is when I was doing finance at McGill, there was a professor who said, uh, arbitrage, there is no arbitrage. Arbitrage is a free lunch, and there is a no free lunch. You never find this. And I always wanted to go back and tell him, well, you know what? I've been doing arbitrage for 14 years, <laughs> and in fact, it does exist. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am unapologetically Canadian. So uh, this week we're interviewing Brad Semelec. He is a portfolio manager. And uh, I'm going to ask you, Brad, to talk about your company and say the name and say how you got here first so that we can actually uh, place ourselves. We're on the top of a tower on Sherbrooke Street <laughs> looking out over the city. It's quite gorgeous. Well, thank oh. you. And I should say that Brad and I have known each other for five years now and we're buddies. <laughs> thank you, Tracy. Um, yeah, Crystal Lay is. We're actually celebrating our 20th year, and it was founded by uh, my partner and CEO, Marc Amiro, who had worked for 15 years at the Caisse des Poids Plasma and decided to take the strategy that uh, he was implementing at the Caisse to a smaller business to um, fulfill a dream, if you will, and to be able to have more flexibility and. Um, and do his own thing, really, and be independent. Um, I come from a background where my dad started on the floor of the Montreal Exchange in 1955. Uh, I joined him in 1994 after having planted trees for six years and um, and then was hired 10 years later when Mark was able to... Uh, he actually got tired of uh, having me call him about 10 or 15 times a day with an idea and thought it'd be much simpler if I just turned around and gave him the ideas than had to pick up the phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's sort of how I got here. Um, I started covering my dad's clients in '94, and then when these hedge fund things started becoming more prevalent, uh, as a salesman, I decided to go with the new thing, whereas all the other salesmen decided to stick with the old stuff. And when I started pulling in some decent numbers, heads started turning, and I was able to capitalize on uh, on the, posi the positioning I had I had made. Uh, the, in, in an, the innovative fashion, and uh, but ultimately got uh, got picked up, uh, moved from this, what we call the sell side, which is the brokers, and to the buy side, which is the money managers. And I've been here for 14 years now, and we'll be celebrating, as I said, 20 years of Crystalline in uh, in September. We have our party, ah. so that's a little bit of uh, how I got here. Yeah, well, and uh, when you say innovative, and I don't know that much about what you do, so. Tell me what your kinds of innovations are. What does that mean? Well, it was, I mean, hedge funds were trying to innovate um, in general. The traditional money management is what we call long only. You go and you invest in a instrument of uh, public debt or equity. And if it goes up, you mark your wealth up and if it goes down well you mark your wealth down and then it depends depending on where you sell it uh, you crystallize that profit or loss um, what we what we do here is more 
we call it arbitrage. And uh, the the irony of all this is when I was doing finance at McGill, there was a professor who said, uh, arbitrage, there is no arbitrage. Arbitrage is a free lunch. And there is a no free lunch. You never find this. And I always wanted to go back and tell him, well, you know what? I've been doing arbitrage for 14 years. <laughs> and in fact, it does exist. And I think with the prevalence of high-frequency trading, which is pure, pure arbitrage, um, uh, you know, there, there, is, there are ways of, it's not really a riskless, it's never a riskless profit, but certainly the, um, you can hedge out or you can, really what it is is a different silo of risk where you're using different instruments and the relative uh, legal um, attachment that each one has to that that designate how one is priced relative to the other and in that way you can pull out inefficiencies in the market between different uh, all the different actors in capital markets because each one uh, works in a different silo typically and don't always look at these relationships so if you can straddle all the different players you can often um you can often echo a small profit from inefficiencies and people say oh wow your 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 strategies are so complex and it's so complicated and i just don't understand the math and i fire back you know these people who do long only they typically research companies for a month or two or three or years before investing and then they have to follow those companies on a day-to-day basis the news what's going on what's going on in the industry what's going on in the economy who the actors are in capital markets what the mr market thinks um you know i just look at relative pricing really it's a mathematical equation and really understanding to in a very detailed fashion the relationship between different uh, different instruments in in the capital structure of a company and that are available in capital markets where whether it be options or uh, we don't do futures but options or bonds or convertible bonds or equities or preference shares so you try and tie all those things together whereas in general all those different instruments are only looked at by people only looking at that one piece of the capital structure. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're actually doing entire groups of investments then in order to take advantage of all that? Is that what you mean? Yeah. You, you, pair, you pair off or, you know, sometimes in one case we have 12 lines on one company. So you have the convertible bond, you're long the convertible bond, and then you're short a whole series of calls, and then you're, um, you're short the equity in another case, I'm long one bond, short another bond, and long the equity. Um, you know, in some cases, I'll just do the preferreds. I've done one preferred against another. Uh, that's a little bit more common. One bond against another. There's there are you know quite a few people doing that. That's more more typical. Um, but I won't go sort of like a long short fund would be long one bank versus the other, thinking that one bank is going to outperform the other somehow. We don't. We don't get, we don't, that, there's no real attachment there, legal attachment, whereas in the case of a convertible bond or a warrant or an option, there's a legal attachment between the two. In the case of merger arbitrage, um, there, is an, there is a legal binding deal between two parties that 
should it be consumed based on a certain criteria, one security will become the other or cash. So that's the other type oh, of, okay. that's the other type of, I mean, there's always where, where, when I said before, there's always risk. Well, the risk there is that the merger is consumed, as we saw in the case of Acon uh, last month, I believe, you know, the Canadian government did not allow a Chinese entity to take over a Canadian engineering firm. So that, that there was the risk there. Um, in other cases, it can be as simple as uh, just, just this morning, Superior Propane bought um, the assets of a U.S. Uh, company that had propane distribution. And the result of that was that that company was able to redeem their bonds. So now I took the position that I was going to, that that transaction was going to be consumed. So I bought the bonds that the company had suggested may be repurchased should the transaction be consumed. Okay, and, and so, so that when they were repurchased? Now, yeah, so once, once the deal is consumed, they go, and, they go and then they officially make the announcement, okay, it's consumed, so we're going to take it. So what it, really, what it really boils down to is different investment, in different investment vehicles land you in different risk buckets. So that's when typically uh, money managers talk about a split, they talk of a 65-35 stock bond split and then within the stocks you have big cap small cap foreign holdings etc um we're a different risk bucket so we allow um investors that choose to invest with us a third alternative which is a further diversification out of that bond stock typical um you know very tried and true if you would that's been around forever um, diversification mix. Right. Um, you know, you can, you, can, you can broaden that out, and it, in certain cases they broaden it out very wide into different buckets, and there's private equity, and there's infrastructure, and real estate, commodities, um, and then you can, different plan sponsors break those out in different ways, but basically we fall in the we fall sometimes in the bond allocation, sometimes in the alternative allocation, sometimes in the hedge fund allocation. But our clients typically, um, you know, they they, ha they have an, they have an allocation for uh, to a, that allows for they have a mandate to uh, diversify their investments in order to try and control the uh, the law the chance of loss of capital. Okay. Okay, so it's a lot of uh, corporate clients and uh, big holders, or um, well, we we have we have mom and pops, and we have uh, retirees, and we have pen, big pension funds. It goes across the gamut. Just people that want to that want to diversify outside or within, depending on your philosophy. That that mix depend just depending on how they want to uh, allocate to their asset mix, what asset mix they determine and how they, uh, how they want to implement it. So in some places you're creating a kind of a new movement in a different kind of uh, investing. Yeah, I mean, an alternative is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not really new. Keeping up with the Joneses from the 50s is actually Jones had a hedge fund. And oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's, uh, and he wasn't even the first hedge fund. I mean, it's, it's. The term hedge fund is, is a misnomer, really, because a lot of people don't do any hedging. It's simply a different, 
it's usually fall what it is it falls under a different rule uh, that allows people to invest so you have certain rules that you invest uh, that anyone can invest and hedge funds is somewhat more restricted in who can invest and what those vehicles and the rules under which those vehicles exist so the the rules are both very onerous and but and are very well defined but are just not the same some are there are very similar rules for the most part and then it when it gets into the fine print and the details the rules um, are not quite the same so we fall under the private placement rules and the so our our potential investors are more restricted, whereas, uh, say, a mutual fund or anything that's on a listed stock market, it falls under the anyone can can invest in them. And they're just two different sets of rules. They fall under two different sections of the investment acts and the and the regulations. Oh, okay. And so in terms of a typical day, when I arrived, uh, I was kind of surprised you have six screens in front of you. Pretty much everybody in the in the place has six screens in front of them. What's a typical day look like? Other than, like, you're, when I arrived, there were only two screens of the six that were on. Uh, well, they're, they all, were, they're all, uh, but they may were, have been... Uh, that, had, that were showing something on them. The rest yeah. of them seemed to be... Uh, yeah, I might have been, uh, I might have just come back from getting a coffee. But, yeah, no, all six, uh, typically, I, I mean, I try and put different things uh, on different screens. But often, I might have a spreadsheet that takes up even more than all the six screens. Um, so is it all math? Or is it like what? What do you? What as a person? Well, what are you actually doing? Are you math, math is a mo- I mean, math is a model, uh, but you need to you need to read a lot of an awful lot of text <laughs> before you can before you conceive how to how to put into mathematical into a mathematical model uh, or pro- programming language what that um, what that what those documents what that reading is telling you. Like I was going through the the the, um, the indentures, which are hundreds of pages long, um, to try and figure out how to model the the superior propane and New Alta, how to model how the what math to use to figure out how much I can pay for those bonds. And you got you've got an awful lot of text uh, to go through to try and figure out what numbers to put where and then you know once once you figure that out then you can then you can put the numbers in but i had discussions with three different dealers who give me three three different interpretations of those documents and it was up to me to finally read them and decide how i was going to interpret it and when you uh when you actually walked in i was trying to get the person on the phone who could answer that question at the company because the company put out a press release that said we will call them in the normal course according to the indention period and Oh. The indenture being 150 pages long and cross-referencing between six different sections and subsections and sub-articles and definitions and, and preambles and uh, supplemental indentures and revisions, um, it got rather complicated rather quickly. <laughs> so like many jobs, you turn into a detective when you have to. That's a very good way of putting it. You really have to be a detective because there are a lot of things that companies can say and a lot of things companies cannot say and you have to do a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of thinking and a whole lot of deductive use a whole lot of detective work to find the information and then a whole lot of reasoning to come to a a likely 
or a likely set of outcomes and the likelihood each of them is going to come to pass and then making a decision as to whether you can live with the uh, the, poten- the possibilities for the different outcomes. Wow, okay. That's a, that's a cool way of putting it. Uh, anything else about your day that you want to describe? Well, first thing first is you always come in and have a great big cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> the coffee machine here is good, I suppose. Yeah, we have we actually have five of them. <laughs> How many employees? Very important to have coffee. <laughs> um, uh, we're up, we started, Mark started alone, and then he hired one more and one more, and then we were, after that we were four, and then six, and then we got up to, with interns, uh, about 20 and now we are 16, and we'll probably end up around uh, 18 by the end of the year. And that is kind of the vision for now. Um, plus or minus maybe some part-time or interns or, or what have you. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's everything. A big part of uh, any organization is compliance. Um, you know, there's maybe five or six people in uh, who are actual full-time job is investing, and then five actually right now, and then everybody else, the other eleven, do uh, accounting, compliance, sales, marketing, uh, and what have you. So it's uh, it's really uh, it's really a uh, a big process to keep to keep track of all this, and then that's not to. That's not even to mention all the people in prime brokerage and all the dealers who call me all day long, and then all our suppliers in terms of liar, lawyers and well, liars, lawyers and accountants, <laughs> consultants, <laughs> yeah. and and you know and then all the regulatory oversight. Uh, you know, there's got to be five or six different uh, regulators that oversee us between the people who are looking for uh, tax evaders in the United States, uh, terrorists who are trying to trying to hide their money in different places. Uh, the AMF, we're trying to make sure that we do things according to the rules. The RCMP, we're making sure that we're not, uh, that there are no fraudsters. Um, you know, we get an awful lot of people, and I often be told, oh, yeah, hey, you hedge funds, you're not, you're not regulated. Nobody oversees you. And I'm like, okay, how many times have you been audited in the last 20 years? And they'll say, oh, I don't know, auditors by the AMF? Bob, maybe once or twice. I'm like, okay, they typically come in here every four years. And last time they spent three weeks, four of them. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so please don't tell me that I am not regulated. <laughs> you are kind of regulated. Because they went through every single piece of paper we had with a fine tooth comb. And they made sure that uh, that everything was uh, was on the level and copacetic and cross referenced and uh, anyway. Well, that leads to one of the questions I was asking before about uh, what you want people to know about the financial industry and um, how it works. Well, I mean, because this it, is a Canadian company, it's a strong, you know, it's in the middle of Montreal. It's a, but you work internationally. Yeah, we, we invest in, um, we specialized, we initially specialized in Canadian arbitrage and we started out with $1.5 million and then pretty much when we hit 50, we had to start looking outside of Canada because you really want to take the very best ideas. Um, we don't, uh, you know, we, we don't have to invest in anything. There's no constraints really... We can take. We like to be able to take 
really the cream, creme de la creme, the very top, easiest fruit we can take. Um, that takes, you know, maybe a little more time to research, but um, they really have a strong conviction about, even though there may be 500 positions in the portfolio, you know, like I said, there can be 12 positions that make up one uh, strategy or investment in one uh, more pointed idea, really. Um, so you've got to... Uh, you got you you got to you got to you got to have a pretty broad universe to go and find those ideas, and then and then be able to follow them and have public information and so on. So it's really uh, yeah. So past fifty till now, there's there's a little more in the U.S. Um, we broadened uh, bit by bit what we do in each of those markets, so that now um, there's probably. You know, maybe twenty sub strategies. I think we have um, that are that can that are defined in the three large silos of fixed income arbitrage, merger arbitrage, and uh, convertible arbitrage. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, you didn't. But it's a good good aside. <laughs> you explained to me how you're how you work within the financial industry, but you didn't tell me what you want people to know about that. Ah, okay. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned before that, uh, you know, hedge funds are, uh, you know, regulated just like everybody else. And uh, in my in, in my estimation, more so, but I think my many of my competitors would disagree that everybody is, is uh, overseen. Um, you know, every, everybody's got a different spin on how they're doing things. And, you know, for the, for the hugest part, everybody is really trying to do their best and offer something that is um, in the best interest of the the clients but everybody's doing a job it's 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 like it's like going into it's like going into any store and buying anything i mean you go into a food store and the green grocer does not want you to get sick on his cabbages (laughs) but you know what sometimes cabbages get in there that are might be a little bit rotten and he didn't see it um or you know, maybe he's got a bad cabbage and he paid for them and he's got to get rid of them. He knows they're going to be bad in a week, so he puts them in the front to um, try and get rid of those ones first. But really, the freshest ones are at the bottom. Or if you go into a depener, you know, the, the freshest milk is in the back and the less fresh milk is in the front. I mean, is that unethical? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find an anecdote to, uh, you know, people do act in, in the best interest. But at the end of the day, no matter how many consultants and advisors and everything, you've got to you've got to be able to um, have a good gut feel about who you who you're dealing with, and um, and check them out. I mean, you know, there 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 you got you got to make sure you feel comfortable because you know, and I'm. It, it's really hard to to stay away from the. It's usually no. It's usually pretty easy to stay away from the Earl Joneses and the Madoffs, but they, they do creep in there every once in a while. But it's more. It's more ending up with someone who you feel uncomfortable um, dealing with, and and you're not quite sure um, whose whose interests they're 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 where where the balance is sitting on on their best interest. 
um, and just feeling comfortable with the, with the service you're getting. I mean, you know, it, it always comes down to buyer beware and never to, never to forget that, no matter how many consultants and lawyers and accountants and, and everything. Um, it's almost like if you ask for too much advice, someone's going to say no to something, <laughs> to everything. Um, so, you, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be you. So you have to have... You, you do have to put on your thinking cap when you're choosing the right advisor or the right investment and, um, and, uh, and, and make sure you are comfortable um, at all times and as time goes on. I mean, a good anecdote is my, my uh, life partner who I, I think it took me, it, it took about four people we had to go through before we finally found someone that she liked dealing with. And they're all doing a good job. They're all honest. You know, most of them are at banks and uh, banks have about the biggest compliance departments in the world. And uh, she, you know, but it took, it took three or four different advisors until she finally found somebody with whom she was comfortable. And I recommended, you know, I try and help out friends who ask and I, you know, often give them three or four or five different choices and they all, they, they'll choose the person with whom they feel the most comfortable. And, you know, once you've gone through, uh, are they registered and, you know, are they offering me a product that I, that from my best gut makes sense to me and a good plan that, that is going to meet my financial goals, you know, after that, do I actually like sitting down and discussing investments with the person and do they seem to be listening to me and, um, and, and do they seem to be acting in my best, in my, in my self-interest? Um, while still carrying on their business, and you know, there not not be too much of a conflict of interest there. How do you feel about that? And uh, you know, read um, read about conflicts of interest, and read about you know how much they're being paid. I mean, everybody gets paid. You know, lawyers get paid up to a thousand dollars an hour. You never think twice. Doctors get doctors get paid uh, huge amounts. You pay, you don't think of how much you're paying your accountant or many advisors. You know, the finance industry uh, we we do get paid, and it's not. It is becoming much, much more transparent as time goes on, but there is a lot of work that goes on behind it, and you know somebody has to pay for all that compliance and all that oversight, and and it unfortunately, like most industries, it, it comes out of the user, and that is all part of and package of um, of uh, investing in public investments. If you go private, <laughs> you know you can always invest in the, you can always invest in your own company, but then you're you're open to the sharks, and there's no one overseeing it. Uh, the the public markets are overseen by so many different people, and you know there is a, a premium to pay for that, and uh, it all comes out in um, it all comes out in the wash. But in that you you have a you have a much better feeling that that you can go to bed at night knowing that uh, you've excluded ninety nine point nine 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 you know six sigma of uh, of the of the bad folks. It's interesting about that. It sort of reminds me of the thing we're learning about social media, which is that uh, if you're not paying for something, if you're not paying for a product, then you are the product. Yeah. And so that's basically what you have sort of have to keep in mind when you're doing financial uh, purchases as well. Yeah. That's, you know, when I, whenever I talk to someone, whenever we have a company in, whenever I look at an investment, the first thing I have to consider is, okay, the person giving me this information, what, where do they benefit from this? How, what is their, what is their stake in this and what outcome is best for them? Who has control over this outcome and what's, 
what's the best outcome for them and how much control do they have on making that outcome happen. And that's usually that's usually the best path towards the most likely outcome. No matter how difficult it is to get to that outcome or how unlikely it might seem, um, that's usually what comes about. That's an awesome answer. That's a very philosophical answer too. Because so, it fits into many things, not just finances. Well, it's just, you know, it, it's amazing that you know, the people who control a company, if they have a lot of stock, that, stock, that company is not going bankrupt. If they have no stock, the company is likely to go bankrupt. If they own bonds, that portion of the capital structure will be protected. Um, it, it's, it's just... It's human nature. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. <laughs> if there's a bank in there and the bank owns management, well, the bank's going to be protected. Yeah, and, and it if doesn't the bank matter owns, if the bank has this particular level, that part is already yeah. taken. No. <laughs> you know, and and anything is possible, and you know, even with all the regulatory oversight, it's very often uh, there are fait accompli that happen, and then once you're put into that situation, um, it doesn't really matter what came before. There's a new reality, and that's the new reality. I mean, even. A good example was in the case of Bell Canada when they were supposed to be taken over way back over 10 years ago. That was a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court where the bondholders had been assured um, with personal knowledge, personally in their offices, staring in the eyes from the management of the company that the company would never ever do anything that would... um, that would risk their investment grade credit and that's why it was not necessary to put into writing and legal form protections against a um, leveraged buyout that would um, that would compromise the value of those bonds and it went all the way to the Supreme Court that the company was allowed to go against the word that they gave and it went back and forth that wow. it was it was that was the so, con- so verbal contracts no longer exist, at least not in that case. Um, oh no, even 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 written contracts they can go against. Wow. Oh yeah, no no. If 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 uh, and legal laws. I mean, we we had a bankruptcy where we had to go to court and prove that there was a there were the bank was going to charge for a loan for a loan in bankruptcy too much and the. The judge had approved that because it was a very the company was in a very tight tight spot, and that was the the only option for the company was to accept the terms of that loan. And we had to really do an awful lot of legal work um, in that court to have that amount reduced. Wow! Wow! <laughs> and it was it was like the judge said, "Yes, this uh, this loan is too expensive, but." I'm going to accept it because that's the company needs the money tomorrow morning. If not, it stops the company from operating, and that is, you know, that is often an overriding principle. And um, ah, okay, so it's the whether the company that's it's very much like bankruptcy law then. Well, they were in bankruptcy. Yeah, okay. and and yeah, you have to it. You know, a lot a lot is often said about capital markets, and you know, investors want this and investors want that, but in Canada. Um, the responsibility of the people running the company, which is ultimately the directors who are who are responsible, 
their responsibility is to the corporation and its stakeholders. And in the law, that is often applied as being in very much including suppliers and employees and the business. And though, I mean, the whole point to law is to allow businesses to continue. So it makes sense that when something comes before a court, that the overriding philosophy of a judge should be how is this going to continue? How is this process going to end so that it has the best outcome for the Canadian economy? And that is, the judges really go to a lot of trouble to um, try and see through what all the lawyers are trying to do because the lawyers are just acting in the, you know, they're trying to prove their case and that's their job too. And then the, the judge has to really cut through that and understand um, all what the lawyers are telling them over the days and days and days that they have to listen to all this and then, you know, give a judgment on how, you know, what the best outcome is for all the parties concerned, depending on what all the promises that were made before to each of them. Right. And, and so that's for Canada as a whole, which leads to my last question, which is about you personally as well. I like how you go into the philosophy world away from getting on, you know, who you are. <laughs> but your last question is, uh, do you consider yourself a Canadian, and if so, why? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do consider myself a Canadian, even though, um, you know, you don't have to go back too far to find uh, when, I, when uh, my uh, grandparents and great-grandparents immigrated to uh, this country. Um, but... Um, you know the the why. Um, I, I I just I just feel that I I try and you know you you I don't know if it's it's I act on how I think it is to be Canadian or I think I'm just part of a mosaic of uh, what it is to be Canadian and I think in in Canada it's more of a mosaic. Um, but I think people here are pretty happy and you know try and do things that they can have their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but without really impeding on anybody else's. <laughs> and if anything, I think we're very much Canadian, as Canadians and every Canadian, um, you know, really think several times before acting so that everything we do does not, not only does not hurt anybody else, but um, things that we do uh, are not only in our self-interest, but enhance the people around us, and uh, and that we try and make that as broad as possible. Um, even my my high school um, is uh, their motto. What they try and what they try and teach their students is to be a man for others. And uh, you know, it's a boys-only school. I think so far, um, but uh, you know, I I think that. To a great extent, um, to some extent, is is uh, is what it is to be Canadian. Not only you know living, not only for me, um, but also you know how my life impacts positively others. I think it's is it Winston Churchill that said you um, you how is it you take your life, but you make you make your life with what you give for others, or something like that. Anyway, that might be British, but uh, anyway, I certainly think it applies to Canadians, and I I try and. Uh, I identify with that and try and uh, carry that out. So, and it's not you know it's not just giving money. It's it's how you act every single day, 
And I remember there was a company that came in here that wanted to build a gold mine, and he was like, I'm like, well, how, what's going to happen when you, when you say drain? What do you mean drain? And he's like, well, all the lakes above the mine are going to be drained. And I'm like, well, what do you do with all the fish? And he's like, oh, we don't care about the fish. And I'm like, well, what about the environmental protection? Oh, no, no, we can get all those permits. It's not a problem. We're just going to drain those, and, you know, whatever happens to the fish, they can take care of themselves. And I'm like, well, I'm not investing in your company. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a fisherman, and my dad's a fisherman, and everybody I know is a fisherman, and you're not just going to drain those lakes and let all those fish you know uh, die <laughs> i was just like come on give me a break <laughs> get out of here <laughs> you gotta have a better plan than that <laughs> um well and you could have left canada if you had wanted to you have um, i'm sure you've had opportunities to go pretty much anywhere uh well yeah but you know i i was sitting around our, our favorite one of our favorite tables and uh actually there was a, one of my interns had come from uh, latvia it was and um, we, I was trying to, I was, I was asking around, you know, where should, where should he go and work? Shouldn't he go to China or shouldn't he go and work in Europe or shouldn't he go back to his own, you know, where he comes from? And, and, um, and the people I was talking to were like, well, no, the, the best place for him is here. How can you possibly, what is a better country than Canada to live in? You know, where can you possibly have so much freedom, so much safety, uh, so much, uh, you know, access to healthcare and education and, and, uh, and safety, really. I mean, that, you know, that's a big, a big part. Have a say in, in, in your, um, in, in what goes down on the laws and with the, with the government and uh, an opportunity in terms of, of what to do with your life, you know, where to go to school, what you can take, uh, and then what you can then do with that education and, and, um, how you can act, uh, on an everyday basis. And, you know, Montreal, you know, with its festivals and its uh, and its uh, diverse mosaic of, of people and restaurants and things to do and green spaces. I mean, I lived in in the states for two years and I loved it. Uh, I just it was it was a it was a cultural shock um, more so than I expected. Um, I you know I, I there was there were different ways I could have stayed there. It it, it played out that it was easier actually for me to come back. Uh, I've been to Europe a few times. Uh, have a few people that have been there. I, I, you know, I, I've considered going there a few times, but uh, always end up, you know, being happy to be here. So uh, for now, uh, I'm going to be here. I'd like to do some more traveling. Uh, if I can get myself away from my six screens that each seem to have six tentacles that hold me to them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brad. That was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Unapologetically Canadian. This episode was brought to you by Notable Nonfiction. Notable Nonfiction teaches people to grow through their own ingenuity. Find out more at notablenonfiction.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.